Hello, curious trail runners, and welcome to Beyond DNF. I'm your host, CTS coach Adam Ferdinandson. Joining us today is Rosie Ganyon and Ann Tisdale. Rosie is on a mission to run 100 100 milers. She's already ran 63 in the past, and she has 20 on the board for this year, particularly including Ure 100. So, naturally, we are bringing Ann back on as our Ure 100 specialist. And of course, anytime somebody is racing so long and so frequently, we have to talk a little bit about the long-term risks of ultra running participation. Even at more recreational participation levels, it's still something to consider and something to to be aware of. Um, But for the purpose of this episode, Rosie is on a mission near and dear to her heart and racing in a way that aligns with her values. We've chatted about it off air a little bit. We aren't here to judge what she's doing. We're here to support her and help her accomplish her goals as best as she can. As always, if you'd like to be on the show, please shoot me an email at beyonddnf at gmail.com and I'll be happy to get you on. So without further ado, I'll let you all enjoy the show. Let's just kind of get started and dive right in. I'd really love to hear, just describe yourself a bit, how you got into the sport and definitely some specifics on the mission that you're on. Okay. Um, Let's see. Well, we live in Berryville. uh, My husband's retired Navy and we had eight eight kids. My youngest is 17 now. Um, He's the only one left at home. So I have free time um, to get out and run, which is really nice. I have some sheep and bees and some things on my farm that I do, but I don't have a full-time job. So I have the time to, you know, to train and, and race. So that's been a uh, blessing. Speaking of my son behind me, sorry about that. <laughs> um, pro- gosh, I'm trying to think what year it was, maybe 2016. I started doing, uh, um, I ran my first 50, 2015 or 2016, just for, just for fun. I started long in, you know, running longer distances and I didn't even know hundred milers existed and, uh, um, went from my first marathon actually to my first hundred miler in a year. So once I did the 50, nice. it was like, what's next. And, uh, so, and I was, cha- I was training for my first hundred miler when my um, oldest son, he was, had been in the Marine Corps and developed a mental illness and, um, had to get out medically and then, um, die by suicide. And, uh, so I, Sorry, I was training for that when he when he died, and so um, I went to finish. I wanted to f- finish that first one, you know, in his memory, and I actually bombed it really bad. I just had like a huge D- DNF, and um, um, but I but I didn't quit. I went back out, you know, like a month later and finished my first one, and I just loved it. It was um, it was just such a it was so therapeutic. So. You know, I use that as a way to kind of process, like the get through, you know, the grief of and uh, trauma of, of losing a, a child to suicide. And then probably about my fifth one in, I thought, you know, I could I could probably do a hundred hundred of these. And so I, I hooked up with a couple um, veterans organizations. One's twenty two too many, and one is um, Wear Blue uh, Run to Remember. And I just started wearing their shirts and um, and uh, that. Kind of the idea of the mission of their mission is to put 
like your physical action into remembrance and honoring. And so I love that message because I felt like there was a lot of, um, you know, um, what, you know, there's so much heart that goes into, you know, training and, and physical effort. And so when you're able to kind of give that as service, it just really um, resonated with me. So, so I started wearing the blue shirt, which I got one on today, every time I, every time I run and, uh, and I've gone, let's see, it's been almost six years since my son passed away and I'll be doing 65 this week, number 65, 100 miler. Wow. So I got a few done. <laughs> Wow. That is a lot of hundred milers. And, um, you also have a blog, um, where you detail all of the the hundred milers that you've done. And I read your most recent one and it really did shed some light on, you know, the context that some of the things that we see is kind of regular or benign that can have an entirely different context yeah. and impact with people that have experienced a loss and, uh, and I just, it gave me a lot of sympathy for people in that situation and to be more cognizant of it, at least in my own life. I appreciate that. Um, that is something like, you know, they say when you're going through grief or whatever to journal and, and I, I thought it was kind of hokey and I can really get into that. But when I combined it with writing about my runs, I was able to, it became kind of an outlet where I could talk about stuff like that. And, um, and so I feel like in our society, like grief's really backwards. Everybody wants you to be over it, you know, six months later, a year later, you should be back to normal and, you know, everything's better after the first year. And so part of my passion is just raising awareness to just, of, you know, of what that really looks like. You know, most people stop talking about their, their sadness and grief after, you know, because society wants us to fix everything quickly and it doesn't. And, I apologize for my teenager in the background there. <laughs> um, it's all right. Anyway, so so that's something that I, I've used, like writing race reports and stuff to try and hit on on things like that. So, Well, I'll definitely link that in the show notes if anyone wants to Great. follow Thank along you. a little more closely yes. with your journey. All right. And this year, how many are you trying to do this year? I'm hoping 20. I think if I can do 20 this year, um, I'll be able to finish my initial goal, which was just a straight up hundred hundreds, um, in 2025. So I, I didn't know that there was like a hundred hundreds club, which I found out after I'd done about 30 of them. And when COVID hit, I started doing a lot of solos and I did some virtual races and they don't count for the official club. So I'm going to, but I didn't want to discount any of the runs that I had done because I did them all, you know, for my son. And, um, and so I'm kind of going for the first goal of finishing just straight up hundred hundreds for, for him. And then I'll spend another year to, you know, cleaning up all the ones to, to qualify for the, uh, for the official club. So, so three years, three and a half, well, God willing, <laughs> my body holds up, but so far so good. <laughs> when one of the races this year is you Ray 100, is that right? Yeah. So I might only get 19 done this year, <laughs> but, but hopefully I can finish that. I, I have put in all my concentration every day, everything I'm doing between now and then I've got that in mind as the as the goal. That's the big finish. I hope unless I get into UTMB, I'm in the lottery for that. So 
then that would be, but even that to me, it, it doesn't seem as hard as hooray. <laughs> so. Well, that is why Adam pulled me in too, because frankly, this is just one of my favorite races in the entire world. Is it really? Reasons. <gasps> oh, 100%. So, and Adam has done the 50 as well. Not only that, but he also, how much did you pace me? I paced yeah. you for 25. My watch said 30, oh so my I call gosh. it 30. So have you finished it? So I have. So I've actually done the race the last three years. Oh my um, gosh. It year one and year three, year two. So my husband and I typically race together. He had a medical emergency, <gasps> like a marathon in to oh the my. point where, and this is frankly something we'll talk about later, in a race like this in the big mountains, decision-making is critical okay um so we made a decision where we realized we are going up this mountain to twelve thousand something feet this person is incredibly ill it makes way more sense it would be a better decision to turn ourselves around and get back to town as quickly as possible yeah um, anyway all that said done it three times finished it twice going back this year so i will see oh wow you awesome and like i mentioned this race it's incredibly special for many reasons. The people, I think, are absolutely wonderful, both the race directors, but also the kind of crowd that it seems to attract. Right. Um, I just think the people are incredibly, incredibly special. Um, the medical staff, really everyone I've met there, memorable. They instantly feel like family. And then not to mention the adventure that you are signing yourself up for. Oh, yeah. So. 42,000 feet of gain, 42,000 feet of loss, going up to over 13,000 feet, spending a lot of time over 12,000 yeah. feet. quite an adventure. So yeah. I think, Adam, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this race in particular and how to make sure it's optimized for you, um, just knowing what, what a massive undertaking it is. That would be amazing, seriously. I would, I would love that. So, yeah. So... As you think about this year, let's prioritize. So of the next three things that I'm going to list, like what would you say is your number one priority? So first, just trying 2,100 milers. Second, finishing as many of them as you can, including you, Ray. Um, actually, let's just change it to finishing you, Ray. And then third would be improving overall running performance. So which of those is really the number one priority? Finishing 20. Gotcha. Finishing 20. Yeah, I did. I attempted 21 this year and I finished 20 of them. And, um, and some of them were pretty tough races, um, cruel jewel grindstone. So, um, you, you oh, yeah. 100, I did that. So out, that's out West high altitude. So, so yeah, I, I want to get them done. So. That's very important to know then. And especially, so with a race like you, Ray, and Adam, please cut me off if I start to dominate the conversation. But please do. With a race like this, it's just so hard that keeping it top of mind, like you said you're doing for this first half of the year, is really critical for <laughs> success. It's not necessarily one that you can kind of toss on the schedule and right. hope for the best. Right, right. And it sounds like you're already thinking in this way. So if it's if it's really important to make sure we do all 20 this year, but it's also important to finish you, Ray, because that's one of the 20. What you kind of mentioned earlier is, okay, every race between now and July 19th or whatever the date mm -hmm. is should in some way, I think, Prepare. move you towards mm -hmm. that goal. 
Um, so tell us, like, what does your schedule look like between now and you, Ray? What are some of the races that you've picked out and some of the training that you've been doing? All right. Well, I mean, there's a few that are just, you know, not hard, but not, not really difficult. Um, like I have the one yeah. I have this weekend is going to be sub zero temperatures or, you know, with, with wind chill. And so, so, you know, being able to mentally handle like the cold, I've got, I've got to probably use crampons for some of the icy climbs and things. Um, a couple of the other big ones, um, cruel jewel in May, that's, uh, 32,000 feet. And, you know, that's, uh, two overnighters. So you have the sleep deprivation. Um, there's also a really great one I'm going to do in, um, June, mid June, so that I have a full month before, um, before, uh, Ure, which is kind of a, a friend's backyard, which I ran last year. And it, it has about 500 feet per mile and it's a one mile loop. And so and we had a, I finished it in 57 hours, but it was 50,000 total elevation gain. Now it's nothing like at high altitude or, you know, technical rivers and stuff that you have in the mountain, but, you know, again, the sleep deprivation and then also, um, just, just the same amount of, you know, avert, hopefully, um, that will get, help get my legs ready for it and, and getting, preparing for that. I'm doing a lot of, um, hill repeats. I'm doing some other mountain races, like, uh, there's a new one, Apple, Appalachian 100, that uh, Run Bum's putting on down in, I think, North or South Carolina mountains. And those are always, you know, good, crazy weather, a lot of climbing, technical stuff in his races. So I, th I think those are like the big ones that are on, on my schedule. I think that, that's about all. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm doing those last ones, the the Appalachian, I can never say, I live here and I can't say Appala Appalachian, Appalachian, <laughs> Appalachian, that's the mm -hmm. white girl's way to say it, Appalachian 100, um, Cruel Jewel and the Froggy Mountain, those are, are, will be a month apart. So I've got a little more time to recover and, and be right, you know what I mean? So, um, and then of course, Uray comes at the end of those, those three, so Adam, I'd love to hear your thoughts too, but my immediate impression is like, there are a lot of things I love about that. First, you're just giving yourself more buffer room in between some of these really hard, steep technical yeah, races, yeah. allowing for some more recovery. That way you can feel just better going yeah. into the next one. And especially yeah. that month leading up to you, right? I think is going to be incredibly valuable. So giving yourself the extra rest time, but then also the fact that these races are basically as specific as you can really get in like on the East coast. On the East coast. On these. Yeah. 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 I, I think those two things you are doing very well. And also the attention that you're paying to, all right, I'm probably going to be out there for two nights. So uh, yeah. let's get some. For sure. Right. Out there right. Two. Right. I'm and also planning to go out like three, two to three weeks ahead of time and just camp and um, climb, yes. climb every day. I hopefully climb the course, you know, um, just to get, well, I've done well, some, I love sorry, go ahead. Good. Um, well, I've, just, I've done say. some races out there and I've found that it takes me like two weeks to acclimate to where I'm not dying up above 10,000 feet. So, you know, I want to get this done. And so I know that's just going to be a critical, uh, component is, being able to breathe when you're already, you know, 
so dead. That, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking like, really, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say what's so interesting is that Adam and I were even chatting about this yesterday. We're starting to think of a list of, okay, for someone from sea level mm-hmm. who's coming out to you, Ray, like what are the top challenges and as you're listing all of these things, you're you're basically just like checking these boxes. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Three of the top ones were just being prepared for how incredibly steep it is. Yeah. Um, two, being prepared for the volatile weather. And we can talk more about that as well. Yeah. And then three was making sure you've got some time to get out there early so you are ready yeah. for that high altitude. Yeah. Because it is just such a shock to the system. It really from is. Sea level. Yeah, it makes that 500 feet of climbing per mile just feel like you're wearing a weighted vest the oh. entire time. So oh, really, yeah. you're, you're doing a great job of checking yeah. things off the list already. So thank I you. That. Thank you. I'm, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> oh. Yep. I think you have a really nice balance of, yeah, you have this, you know, ludicrous race schedule. And I say <laughs> that in a loving way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> But then you're also taking these really practical steps of the races before it, because races are so much of your training. Mm-hmm. Um, the races right. are kind of a nice build up to it, uh, preparing you for it. You're putting a gap between the bigger races yeah, and you're going to be going up ahead of time. I mean, those are some of the big check marks that are going to lead you to be successful. Hey. Here. So I'm really glad you've been thinking about I'm all glad of that. Glad to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> And a month doesn't sound like a lot, but for me, it kind of is because I'll do a, a race a week apart is too close. That doesn't give my cardio system to recover. Two is pretty good. Three is like ideal. By after three weeks, I'm pretty much ready to go again. And, and I don't have any lag from, you know, from the last one, at least noticeably. Um, so I think a month is, is good. I, I'm going to definitely be like itching and excited to be going out, you know, so, and that was, that was kind of part of it too. Like, oh, this is going to be so hard. I, I don't want to have that. I want to have the like, wow, I can't wait to get out there, you know? So. Up there. Well, I'll be camping out there a little bit ahead of time as well. And awesome. I'm sure Anne might get out there early. So maybe we'll share a run or hike or something. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. You're going to have to go out early too. Are you going out early? Are you used to it? Yeah. You know I have found the exact same thing that you just mentioned. So last year we went out a week early just uh-huh. for scheduling reasons. The year before that, we were lucky enough to be able to go out a month early and just work remotely and train out there. Nice. The difference between that one month period versus the one week was tremendous, yeah. especially as you get into the back half of the race. I mean, Adam was with me going up Bridge of Heaven on the quote, easy section at the top. And I just had to put my head down and practically close my eyes because the breathing had become so hard that I was like, walking flat is hard now. So it was wow. such a noticeable difference wow. one week versus the one month. Um, so I will be out there nice and early as nice. well. So hopefully nice. I'll be seeing you out on the course a few nice. times. Nice, yeah. I have an alarm set actually for like the closest campground there in town which tomorrow at 10 a.m. that the two weeks out opens up. So I'm hoping, hoping to get to that one. But if not, I'll find, find something out there to camp, somewhere out there to camp. So, Good call. Yeah. If you can get in town, it, it's tough to do and you have to be thinking ahead yeah. of time. Because there's actually not, um, right near your way, there's actually not a lot of great options. No, so, yeah. Um, 
that you have to go out towards Silverton or out towards Montrose really for the rest of the right, options. Right, right. So we'll see. I would, you know what? I'd love to hear more about, so it's, is it Froggy Mountain, the, the smaller race that you did? Yeah, yeah. How did that go last year? Did you have any big takeaways in terms of your training for that, your nutrition, um, how it felt to go through two nights? Any big takeaways that could also apply to that race as well as you Ray this year? I've done a couple double night races. So, so I'm kind of, you know, a lot of caffeine. I've, I've, I've got it down, but it's still hard. I ended up taking like two 10 minute naps. So if a friend of mine, he's paced me a lot of races. He's like really great runner. Um, he has like a one mile trail in his backyard. And so we were just running one time and we, and we were like, we should turn that into a race. Can you imagine, you know, a hundred loops with 50,000 feet of vert. So we thought, well, we'll just, we'll try it. So he, he invited kind of a, you know, some people to come out and run it. And, um, actually a buddy of his made this beautiful wooden arch for it. And so this year he's going to actually list it as a race, but keep it to about 25 people. Um, but, uh, so it's in Southern Virginia, Galax, Virginia. And uh, so he's a great runner. There is, there's about, I think, seven of us who actually ran it. And I was like the slowest, you know, I'm like the old lady of the group. And so they were just lapping me and I was just kind of climbing, you know, um, but kept on going. And, and the funny thing is, is I ended up winning it. <laughs> like these guys who can run twice as fast as I can because they all it just wore them out and they all went to sleep. And I just, because I'd had such good night training, I just kept on going both nights. And so I ended up having taking, you know, first place from these really two, uh, there ended up being four finishers out of not everybody finished, but you know, we gave us like a 60 hour cutoff and I did it in 57 and the other guys pushed it pretty close to 60. And we thought that was going to be really generous, <clears throat> but it was, it was tight. <laughs> it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of climbing. We had some rain. Luckily, I mean, it was mid July cause we were going for, um, as most, the most suffering as possible, <laughs> but the weather wasn't really bad. It was, yeah, it was like high seventies and humid and, uh, um, mentally it was very challenging, you know, just, uh, that many loops just gets, gets, uh, is pretty mind bending, but, but, uh, but it was a great time that, you know, that we had like the guys who put it, who run it, um, uh, just, I mean, they were cooking like steak to perfection at two in the morning, you know, it, it was just like personal, really personal. And, uh, it was fun. So I'm going to do it again. <laughs> well, you know, you just mentioned the steak that they were cooking, which makes me wonder what did you rely on in terms of your nutrition? And did you ever find that it was challenging to eat as you're doing those really steep climbs and descents? I, when it's warm like that, I mostly stick to, I stick to a lot of liquid nutrition. I drink a lot of um, chocolate milk, uh, Nesquik, like carnation breakfast drinks, because they got a good mix of protein and tons of carbs. And it, for me, they go down really easy. I don't have a problem with dairy. So um, that unless something looked really good, like I think I ate breakfast, lunch and dinner because they were cooking up such good food. But with the temperatures over over the 70s, like the bulk of it was liquid calories. So sometimes I'll drink uh, like applesauce or um, uh, Capri Suns or apple juice 
I like to use a lot when it's hot. So plus if you have to throw up, it's like super easy <laughs> in and out. It's, it's it doesn't get like funky, you know, <laughs> like throwing up that hot dog you ate four hours ago is like traumatic experience. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, yeah. You know, there are many reasons why this race is sounding like very good practice for you. Okay. Right? And Adam, tell me what you think as well. For, so the steepness of the climb. So even though technically this Froggy Mountain has more vert than mm-hmm. Uray, um, I think it all evens out because part of Uray is you go to the trailhead on the road and then you and then you the climb. Oh yeah, climb. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I would expect that most of the climbs are going to feel like they're about 1,200 feet of oh, yeah. gain per. Right. So very very comparable. Right. So the vert you've got the weather. I can attest to this. Um, so I've been there three years in a row, mm-hmm. two years, pretty darn hot, especially 2023. I, mm. I think it was in the eighties. Oh, really? Super because you're above the tree line for a lot of it. So you've got the potential of the heat to deal with. Um, yeah, the sun feels way hotter climbing. too when you're up high like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then year one, there were torrential downpours, hail, kind of the lot. So it sounds like you've got exposure to all of that, the mm-hmm. bad weather, including rain and potential very hot temps and the steep climbs, which can make it incredibly difficult to eat solid foods on the move. Right. So your strategy of incorporating a lot of different forms of liquid calories yeah. could really serve well there too, at least in the steepest parts and the highest parts yeah. of the race, where you've got poles in your hands. You're working really hard and just the reality of trying to eat something solid and chew in those moments is incredibly right. challenging. So right. those are definitely some things that are going to serve you Great. well. Adam, any additional thoughts so far? I think that's perfectly said. And, and in the nighttime when it's cooler and as you move towards the back half of the race, you get a little bit of relief here and there. Um, so there's more opportunities to eat you're back in felon parks if you have crew or something yeah usually have a bit more access to um to all the good food options in your drop bags well and then it's like in the high 30s or low 40s or something so you're not fighting the temperature you're you're fighting the opposite (laughs) trying to stay warm Uh, exactly your a can really go either way Yeah, and that brings up the question about gear, too. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, well, first of all, the race gives you just the this incredible little emergency packet with, like, a candle, a space blanket, mm-hmm. you know, some, yeah. some good safety basics. Do you feel good about the kit that you're going to have on race day in terms of, like, you've got something for rain, gloves, hot weather, cold weather, um, even emergency bivy, things like that. Do you feel pretty good about your collection of gear that you'll be taking up there into the high mountains? Oh yeah. Like I carry that stuff anyway, almost every race, just so I'm ready, <clears throat> just so I'm ready for something like that. Like I've gone out a couple, t- three times now and done the Leadville course on my own, just solo. Cause I'm not fast enough yet to do it in 30 hours, but so I've gone cool. like the high altitude and hit, you know, the lit- hail and lightning and, and uh, so I know like you can go from hot to hypothermic in you know, half an hour or whatever. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm totally on board with carrying that kind of stuff. I actually just found on Amazon, which I'm really excited about, um, you know, like the space blankets, it's like a poncho space blanket. 
Because have you ever tried to actually run and wear a stupid space blanket? You know, you're trying to tie out oh, with Superman. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm like really excited about this. I, I think this might be the best gear I've bought for the, for uh, Ure is this poncho space space blanket. So, uh, well, I and that. that does remind me that I want to back up for a minute because it's not too often that we get to talk to people that have done 60 hundred milers. <laughs> so what have you learned? You know, what, what were you challenged with at the beginning that you then got over and is there any, anything left on the list that really plagues you during these hundreds? Cause I'm, I'm sure you've ironed out most of the details. Um, nausea was really hard. Well, for everybody, but yeah, I used to throw up like crazy through the second half. Um, now I, I don't very often, if I do, it's only once or twice and usually I feel better. So it's just, I'll just get it over with. Sometimes I'll make myself throw up just so it's the nausea is gone and you kind of reset. Um, so yeah, learning to make myself throw up, is that a skill? I, I don't do it outside of races, I promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> we hope. I did have like, which is, I ended up having a partial knee replacement after my 28th, I think, 100 miler, which is, I, I'm not, we're not, we, I'm not even sure it happened. It's probably injury related. My um, surgeon said, because the other knee's like pristine and then one just like, everything was gone in it. So I had that replaced. Um, so I, I have to watch that. I, um, I wear a brace when I run just to help the impact, help the, um, prosthetic, you know, the life of it. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm careful on technical, um, technical stuff. There's a couple races that I probably won't ever try again because they were just too rocky. And I like, um, MMT or the Massanutten, um, I don't know if you're familiar with that one in uh, Shenandoah Valley, but all rocks. Yep. And yeah, it was, I, I attempted that one and I just thought, you know, it wasn't worth the risk for me to like, cause the entire race is rocks. And I just thought if I push myself, I'm going to trip and wreck, you know, wreck my, my surgery or whatever. So, so, so that's always, you know, anytime I get like a strain or a niggle or something, I always have to pause and think, okay, is everything okay? This is, you know, so, so that's kind of my always on my mind worry, but I've put down 3,500 since I had the surgery done and I have my, my surgeon checks it every like six months or so. And it's like pristine. So he said, it's probably going to hold up better than your like body will. <laughs> so the, the materials, they, it was a really crazy story though. Cause when I needed it done, the first surgeon I saw told me like, I won't do the surgery unless you like tell me you're never going to run again. <laughs> and I, and I was like, that's just because that's kind of the prevailing old school thought is that once that's done, that you, you shouldn't be running anymore. So I had to shop around and find a, a surgeon who understood athletes and, and was like, no, I think you, you'd be okay. So one, well, and with like hundred milers, because they're, you know, they're long distance. So it's not about um, pace. So you're not, really pounding on like you're not running road marathons. And so I feel like it's, a, it's a lot better for it, even though it's a whole heck of a lot more miles. So, so far so good. That's a very common story with endurance athletes navigating the medical system yes. uh, for any sort of injury or condition. If you are working with a doctor or a surgeon that you can tell just 
isn't actually giving you the benefit of the doubt or really believing in you. Yeah. They're just not familiar with the sport. They're going to tell you to stop. Um, and it is worth it to shop around. I'm really glad that you did so. Yeah. You kept looking to find someone that that can actually believe in you moving healthily again. Definitely. I was devastated. Like I felt like you could have just told me I was dying of cancer or something when, when he said that, you know, well, I take a biking and I'm like, I'm not a biker. That's not, you know, it's not who I am. This is what, so yeah, I feel really grateful every day that uh, I didn't listen to that guy. So. Well, kudos to you for, keeping pushing past that Thank and you. digging around because a lot of people just hear that first time and uh, get discouraged. Yeah, so for sure. always keep looking and you can usually sense um, the people because I'm sure there are injuries where you can't run again. Right, that right. can happen. Yeah. Um, but you can sense if they're actually believing in you or if they're writing you off. Yeah. Um, you got to use your spidey senses a little for bit sure. in those situations. Yeah. Well, that leads to another good question too. So how do you approach your recovery periods in between these big races, especially when you've got the shorter periods before you've got to get back out there and mm-hmm. do another hundred miles? Um, tip, it's pretty, it's pretty much the same every time. I definitely take like two days off completely and I'm usually like asleep. 90% of the time I just sleep a lot. And then, um, usually I'm sore for like three or four days. I'll have muscle soreness, but as soon as like probably two days out, I hop on the elliptical and get things going again because I feel like it, you know, loosens up the muscles. And I feel like just the recovery is so much better if I can, uh, can get that going. And then by, so would that be like Wednesday? Let's say I'm done on Sunday. I'm in a coma Monday, Tuesday, uh, by Wednesday, I'm on the elliptical for like five, six miles. And then, um, I I might start running like by Thursday or Friday, but I keep it. It's pretty slow, like 12 minute mile or something, you know, just, uh, mostly I just watch my heart rate and just keep it pretty easy. Um, so, but I like to get back to it pretty quick, you know, just, um, not crazy. Like I'll do five to eight miles or something tops that that week and then get back into like a regular schedule the next it's like starting the next monday so so like i had a race two weeks ago so let's see today i did 10 miles and then tomorrow i'll probably do 10 oh no i'm gonna do trail tomorrow for like 12 and then 10 probably the next day and then i'll take two days off and then um for travel and then i'll race on on uh Saturday. So for, for this week. So I just, you know, I, I feel that's just kind of my, like where I feel good about my day. You know, I feel good if I've had like a two hour workout, like, I feel like I need that just for my mental health and for how I feel about the day and how I feel about myself, you know, it's just my, my sweet spot. So, so even though I have a race, When you've got so much experience doing this at this point, Mm -hmm. and Adam, I think you would agree, like so much of this sport is truly learning your body and its capacity for work and what it can tolerate and how much it needs to recover and how long it takes to recover. And that's such an individual thing. There are those who take four weeks to feel 100% after a miler. There's those who feel 100% after two weeks. And it really, I think it's a matter of 
physiology and your experience, yeah. um, how, how hard you pushed during that race, the nature of the race, so many things go into it. Right. It seems oh, like yeah. you have just figured out a system that works for yeah. you and yeah. your time and your body. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I've tried to do that, just being very intuitive as far as like how I feel and how I eat. And I also like, I feel like my son is kind of my coach and that might sound hokey, but you know, I always get thoughts like, oh, you know, maybe you're pushing it too hard today, mom, you know, cut it at five or what, you know what I mean? And so I try to follow, I'm really intuitive as far as, as far as the training goes so that I, so I don't feel like I'm not like the David Goggins type person at all. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I definitely go by stretching my comfort zone a little bit, but, you know, take, making sure that I'm getting a lot of rest. And uh, so. So obviously you are incredibly mentally tough. And so <laughs> doing the work is not the problem, but you also have the ability to yeah. like notice when you need to pull back a little right. bit and take a little extra time to recover. Yeah. 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 If Anne and I were working with you or someone like you as an athlete, there would be no blueprint. I mean, there never is in general, <laughs> but the blueprint is far out the window mm. in these situations. And just listening to how you're feeling and being honest with yourself as you're doing would be really the only tools that we have available to us. Right. Um, there's no other metric you're really going to be able to apply to it other than, hey, how are you feeling? Are you excited mm -hmm. to get out the door yeah. physically, mentally? Right. Um, so the fact that you're doing that, I mean, that's the best you can do, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. That's a good one, too. You know, when when you're just dreading it, then it might be time to, like, take a break or do do some cross-training or something. So... When you know, Adam, you kind of mentioned like, how would we train a like quote traditional athlete versus someone who races with this frequency? Mm -hmm. And I think you even mentioned this in your notes, Rosie, just not incorporating a lot of speed work. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't, with a schedule like yours, I don't know what, that there's a world where that would even be an important or appropriate to incorporate just because it's really more a cycle of race recover race recover, yeah right versus a cycle of train 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 race recover and that's when you can really start to incorporate some of the more strategic right like your blocks work on your vo2 max doing those kinds of workouts yeah so if anyone is listening and thinking like well wait like aren't we going to talk about the training and the different kinds of workouts you should be doing yeah. I, I just don't think there's a world where the body would like there wouldn't necessarily be enough time to do right. work yeah adapt to that before yeah. the next race <clears throat> right do you agree with that adam i do yeah maybe if someday you had six weeks between hundreds and <laughs> i just love how absurd all these numbers are yeah um, <clears throat> you know you could recover for a couple of weeks throw in a short block um and then recover for a couple of weeks again yeah. before the the race but you know with the the limited um, knowledge that that's only going to get you so far. Um, and it doesn't mean you're training appropriately for the goals right now. Right. And it's just that speed work, um, uh, just won't really fit in this plan all that well. And right. maybe it's something after you tackle your hundred hundreds, yeah. then you can start work on getting, um, if you wanted to shift your focus at that point in time yeah. to, Hey, let's see how fast I can do these right. and then right. have a slightly different approach. Yeah. 
question about you, Ray, specifically, just simply because I know that's a high priority for you. What do you feel the most confident about going into that race? And is there anything that you feel most concerned about, worried, least confident about? The most confident? I think the mental endurance, maybe. I feel like I've done a lot of it. Yeah. um, (laughs) To like keep going no matter what. Um, The least confident is going fast enough to make the cutoff. (laughs) So like if they, if I had endless time, I'd go until I did it. I mean, I just, I'm not, I don't quit unless you pull me from the, from that. And so, um, so I worry, like I'm a, I'm a slow climber. And so I'm really want to focus on, uh, you know, even if I can knock 30 seconds to a minute, you know, 30 seconds off my climbing miles, um, I feel like, you know, over 52 hours, that's going to make it, make it, could make or break, break it. So, um, so yeah, the climbing pace is, is my biggest worry, I think. Are you planning on using poles oh, yeah. for this race? Yeah, for okay, sure. For <laughs> sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. In fact, um, one of my New Year's resolutions is like arm work every day. Even if I got to like arm myself up the mountain, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna do that. So, uh. You know, there's a trail. It's probably not too far from you. Do you ever run around Old Rag Mountain? Or are you familiar with it? In I've National heard Park? of it, but I don't know where it's at. So look up Robertson Mountain Trail. It is right next to Old Rag. Old Rag is super popular, um, especially Mm -hmm. during the summer months. But right next to it is this trail called Robertson Mountain Trail. The elevation profile is quite similar to what you'll get on the climbs in you, right? The terrain, I also think, is the closest thing we've got in this area. Oh, okay. Um, Mimic it. Now it's short, so you're not going to get that experience Mm -hmm. of, all right, it's good take me two hours to climb to the top yeah. of this mountain. Um, but I know if you want to be working on the uphill pacing, leveraging a trail like that, right? Uh, the Appalachian Trail near you, and then even hopping on a treadmill and cranking up the incline. Oh, yeah. 15 to 20% yeah. and doing just doing some power hiking workouts there. I think that would be okay. a really good thing to be practicing. Um, the other thing, too, one way I like to think about pacing this race Adam, I'd be curious if you did the same thing in the 50, think two miles an hour uphill, three miles an hour downhill. Downhill, That will will kind of get you to where you need to go. And I wouldn't go into this expecting to be bombing the downhills because some of them are quite technical, even a little bit on the slippery side. Yeah. Um, But... If, if you can really work towards a target of two up, three down, okay. Adam, do you agree with that? I feel like that kind of pacing is sustainable. And as long as you're using your okay. station time wisely, mm-hmm. it gets you there in the time you need. Okay, great. I do. Great. I think trying to make up a lot of time on the downhills will be a mistake. Yeah. We'll leave my Ura 50 pacing out of this. It was its own adventure. <laughs> <I know. laughs> maybe, maybe not the best idea. Um, but no, that's a fantastic plan right there. And you're right that with 57-ish at Froggy, a little steeper at Froggy, which you know does play a role when you're at that level mm-hmm. of steepness already, it doesn't take a lot more to slow you down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, But it was at lower altitude. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of factors there 
but we know enough to know that you don't have a giant margin for error. Right, right. I assume your aid station work that you do is pretty efficient oh, at yeah, this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't sit down. I'm mm-hmm. like five minutes. Yeah. Right. So between Ops. that, keeping that up, sleep schedule, yeah. sounds like you have a pretty good grasp on on minimizing mm-hmm. um, your time to sleep, um, but still getting enough to keep moving. And mm-hmm. that was actually your advantage at Froggy. So yeah. keep up with that. Other than that, I think the terrain specificity leading up to it, training like how Anne was saying, um, well, you're doing Cruel Jewel, Froggy to lead up to it. <laughs> and as much of the training you can do to be steep, um, whether that's prolonged treadmill stuff if you don't have time to get out, mm-hmm. or going out to where Anne was speaking about yeah. to get some really specific <laughs> climbing and descending in, that's going to be where a lot of your benefit is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do have a... Um, uh, there's a Civil War battlefield right close to the mountain that's got about 400 feet per mile on this. Uh, it's paved trail, but it's still got you know quite a bit of quite a bit of climb. So I do I'll go out and do like 12 miles of hill repeats on that, which is incredibly boring. <laughs> but uh, but so I've been trying to I do that at least once or twice a week. So um, I started doing that before I did the froggy mountain last year to get ready for it. And it did pretty well. So, um, I'm keeping that up. And then, uh, but I think like you said, longer, cause like those peaks are, you know, three miles with 3000 feet or something like that. And so that's, yeah. that's not, you know, a half a mile with a break kind of thing. So, um, so I think the treadmill definitely is, uh, I've got a Nordic track. Oh, I had a Nordic track. It died, but I may get another one here because they do the 40, 40 incline or whatever. The so, incline training. Yeah, the inclines are great. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so excellent. I do have like a, a you know those vert vert machines, is that what they're called? Where um they're I've like got the arms and the legs swing at the same time. Yeah. I know what you're Yeah, talking. so I've got one of those. I picked up at a yard sale for like sixty bucks. The first time I got on it, like five minutes, my quads were killing me. So I'm working on that. I'm getting in like 10 minutes a day on it is about all I can do right now. But I'm working, I'm working up to at least a half an hour on top of like the other, you know, all the other training. That's just something like I'm trying to get it done before lunch every day. So if I want to eat lunch, I got to go hop on the, hop on the trainer and put it. So I'm hoping that that's kind of a little bit more, um, you know, that's a little harder than just hiking. So. I'm not sure exactly what that machine is. Um, I think I'm picturing it. I feel like I've seen them. Do they have almost a little paddle type pedals that slide up and down? Uh, like is it's it one literally, of those? Sh- I should turn my, it's, it's like, I'm trying to think. It's like about like this horizontal and you're holding on to it. And it's almost like you're rock climbing, honestly, is what my legs feel like when I'm, when I'm on it, because it pulls them up pretty high um, and close to the body. So so what it reminds me of is when when people have steep races and they want to use the the stairmaster where mm-hmm. um and you know without seeing it I might be off here but it sounds like maybe a lot steeper than what you'll be facing at the race and it's better than running flat but it's not as biomechanically specific mm-hmm. and it might even be steeper to a greater extent where a lot of times we think there's bonus points for going steeper and more hardcore mm-hmm. when keeping it the most biomechanically specific is better. That's it's not that there's no place for that tool, but um, 
you know, a treadmill at 18% grade is going to be closer to what you're going to see right, out there. Right. Gotcha. That makes sense. I, uh, I feel like I ran beast of the East in December and it's got some steep, I don't know if you're familiar with that course, but it's got some steep climbs, boulder scrambles, things like that. And I used a lot of kind of those climbing muscles on that course. And so that's kind of why I thought maybe it was good because plus it helped like stretch my knee out because it I don't have like a ton of flexibility mm-hmm. in my, um, the one that I had surgery on. And so it kind of helps um, with that a little bit, but I don't know how that, if that translates to Uri or not, but it's tough to say, and maybe it's a case of don't not use yeah, that tool, but don't but, count right. But don't let it replace the rest okay. of the specificity gotcha. as well. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. If I were, if I were to describe the sensations that you'll feel most often, um, and this is specific to going uphill, it's going to be the equivalent of hiking up. I think eighteen percent grade, Adam. I think you nailed it. Eighteen like, percent. Okay. Definitely Okay. That's, That's good because I really I was guessing for a moment. <laughs> well, let's let's say the quote easy parts of the race are going to feel like hiking up that eighteen percent grade. <laughs> That's the easy. Then there will be these, <laughs> well, then there will be those moments where you're truly just on your tippy toes. It's just so steep that you're like planting the poles, walking on your tippy toes. Calves are burning. Um, so probably more along the lines of like 20, low 20s, 25% grade. So okay. maybe ex- if you're getting that Nordic track trainer, um, experimenting with both those as well as some 15%, some 20%, uh-huh. you know, play around with it a bit. But those two different experiences, I think will cover a lot of what you're going okay. to feel there. Um, and then also just prepare yourself both mentally and I think physically can only be done out on trails for some steep rocky descents um, which will take some time they're hard on the quads um so just finding your nice steady comfy relaxed pace uh, where you can get down safely but intentionally yeah Um, so being prepared for those three big things i think will go a long way okay great i just opened up my race file right now um just to double check and yeah, like 18% does seem to be actually a pretty good thing to shoot for. A lot of the climbs are sitting right around there. Okay. So just to reference when you're hopping on the treadmill. Is, I did that? see... Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. In the questionnaire, you mentioned occasionally using um, a low-calorie or low-carb approach. Can you talk about where that fits into your plan and if you have... Um, kind of plans of doing any low calorie sections or low carb um, strategies this upcoming year? Right now I'm trying to get down to, I usually sit about 140 and I feel like I want to be down about 130 for a rake. So I don't want to be carrying extra, extra weight. And I've dropped a couple pounds over Christmas, but not drastically. Like I cut maybe like all the junk out and like maybe 300 calories a day. So just, you know, enough that I've got um, what I need to run and, but, you know, nothing extra and cut out the sugar. So I I dropped like six pounds over, over Christmas, which was nice. So, so yeah, I'm probably going to keep doing that until I hit about 130 and then I'll just maintain it. Um, um, I, I don't know why. Sometimes I just feel like, uh, 
I really, I've benefited in the past by, especially early on when I was running and having a lot of nausea by doing um, fat adapted because, you know, I, I have 30 miles left and puking my guts out, not be able to keep anything down. But because I was in, you know, already in that zone, I could just go ahead and finish and not feel like I had to fuel other than like um, hydration. So I felt like that was beneficial. And so uh, every once in a while, I'll just kind of get in the mood and do that for a couple months. But uh, but it's gotten harder since I started raising bees because I love their honey so dang much. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, so I'm not doing that at the moment. <laughs> but and my husband, likes, he has a hard, he needs to lose a few pounds and he has a hard time losing weight, but he does pretty good when he's doing a low carb diet. So sometimes I'll do it to support him, mm-hmm. but uh I, I transition pretty well in between. I don't have like, you know, weeks where I'm sick or, you know, how some people like if they switch to a low carb diet, will have like the, I don't know, that electrolyte flu or low energy or whatever. The keto flu. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've made the switch yeah. often enough that my body's just like, whatever. <laughs> so, so for me, like right, right now, just a good balanced, you know, carbs, protein, lots of veggies and fruit and stuff like that. Lean protein. That's what I'm doing right now. And hopefully that'll get me to cut. I don't want to go any lower than 130 because that's just, I'm, I'm not really built to be like super thin. That's not really my body type. So I feel like that's a good weight for me. So my husband will be mad. I'll I lose think- all my boobs. <laughs> Sorry. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it's all right. It's- Real life Legit working with that. Understand, here. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, going into a race like you're a, it's so steep. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're the the only athlete that makes the connection between uphill hiking, a power to weight ratio, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So it's it's very natural, and it's certainly a an important consideration. Um. What I always tell athletes when I'm working from afar. I don't have the tools or the expertise to to make the decision from here without you working with someone else of whether or not losing that weight is the right choice. Right. So we'll kind of stay away from that on this. Gotcha. But just like with speed work, yeah, I think it's going to be really tough to have the goals of this many hundred milers um, and weight loss at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think you might pull it off, but I think it's playing with fire, um, especially with injury concern. That's my two cents on the matter. Um, and kind of same thing with, with the low carb and, um, cause it, it can be a way to, to help you boost your fat burning a bit and get around, um, some aspects of fueling during ultras. Right. But my thought is that there's usually different tactics to take to solve um, what you can tolerate and how much you can tolerate Mm -hmm. during ultras um, outside of that. And it sounds like you found a lot of good options you can rely and lean on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe if you continue to struggle with nausea, um, working with an ultra specific dietitian, someone like that, um, you know, without us getting into the low carb. I've got the, I've got that pretty dialed in. So so I, I, thankfully that's not so much an issue as it used to be. So good. Yeah. And you know, I think carbs course. will be one of your biggest tools here, um, for racing as well. And we didn't really get into specific amounts, but it'd be something to think about. Um, I think sometimes when people race so often, they get so good at it and they are such tremendous fat burners, they can get away with 
um, maybe less fueling, but it'd be good to maybe take a step back and see, are you hitting that kind of 50 to 60 grams per hour of carbohydrate range? If you're not, that could be a big area for improvement, um, especially to get you across the line um, under that cutoff time. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm I'm one of those people that can get fat running 100 miles twice a month. <laughs> I actually, I do have to be careful because I could, uh, well, and especially not even while I'm running, but I do go for like the, like 200 calories an hour is kind of my sweet spot. Um, and then it's the like the three or four days after when you just want to eat like everything in the house. So, so I'm just trying to be a little bit more moderate on that and making smarter choices, you know, okay, if I'm really hungry, then I'm going to eat a big salad along with this, you know, I'm not going to go get McDonald's French fries and which is going to be crap anyway. So, um, but yeah, and like protein, I feel like I always am really careful on like, I'm definitely like the one gram per body weight type person. Um, I just feel like, you know, with all the muscles that you got to rely on constantly breaking down and, you know, that, um, so, so either way, that's, I always make sure that's in the, in the mix. So. Well, that's been the theme so far is all the stuff that Ann and I were worried that maybe you weren't considering <laughs> or taking care of. You absolutely have. So um, well, good. It, it's almost made it pretty easy on our end for this. Well, that makes me happy. I told you I have a great coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, exactly. If I were to create a checklist for, all right, you're about to go do a high altitude, incredibly challenging mm. mountain race. These are some of the top things to prepare yourself for. That checklist would include prepare for the steepness, so specificity mm. of the course, the altitude, the weather, how to eat properly or keep yourself fueled, and mm -hmm. how to pace yourself properly. So, five kind of technical things. Number six would be how do you prepare yourself mentally mm -hmm. to be out there for 52 hours potentially and to be on these climbs for hours at a time to the point where you're like, my goodness, can I walk on a flat can surface for five minutes? <laughs> but we've got those things covered. You've selected races specifically mm -hmm. that will give you as much fruit as possible. You're training on the Appalachian Trail, which is technical, some of the most technical stuff we can find in this area. Yeah. Um, you've already dialed in your nutrition. You have a lot of liquid solutions as well that can help you on the steep parts that can help you in the high altitude areas. You're obviously very good at pacing yourself, especially as you demonstrated at Froggy Mountain last year. <laughs> the mental toughness, I think there is zero question. Yes. Um, we don't even have to touch on that one. Just look <laughs> at your resume and I think we can put yeah. a big oh, check in you. that box. Thanks. And then the weather. You've experienced that in the altitude. You're getting there nice and early. I feel like we have checked a lot of boxes. Thank and you. Since you're getting out there early, if, as we're getting close to the race, if you want to reach out to me and Adam and say, hey, which trail should I prioritize for some of my forerunning? You just let us know. I would love that. Can I add one thing to your list? Is the why. Like, I have a really big why. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to honor my son and his life and also uh, raise uh, awareness for veteran suicide and uh, military suicide. Um, that just that really drives me. Um, I've met a lot of families of some of the Marines I carry on my pack and um, and uh, it, there's there's just a lot of a lot of loss right now. And I feel like you know, getting out. And there's a lot of people in that community, you know, a lot of people in the ultra community have their little personal demons. And, you know, I never run a race where I don't come up 
with somebody who either has struggled with depression or suicide or, or someone in their life or, you know, it seems like there's always someone I meet that's been affected by it. And so, so for me, it's like when I'm suffering and when, oh, this is really hard, I want to quit, you know, being able to, to focus on something bigger than like my own ego and finishing this race or whatever. That's, that's been my key. That's key. So. Well, Adam can attest to this too. There are going to be so many moments in this race where, yes, we've talked a lot about how hard it is, but you will reach the summit of one of these mountains and look around yourself and think, my gosh, I am incredibly lucky to be here. Right yeah, now. So right. I think, will, I think this is going to meet like everything that you're seeking. Well, th- I appreciate that. I, I feel like I kind of like I'm living my life for myself and also for my son a little bit. And so being able to take him to like these amazing places where normally, you know, nobody would do that. <laughs> no normal person would do that. Um, and not just, you know, you could go and hike five miles and get to the top and be there, but the whole journey, you know, everything that you go through, you go 60 miles or 70 miles of just agony. And then you are treated to just this incredible vista, you know, that those are, and, or like under the stars, you know, on the mountaintop or whatever. And the price that you pay to get to that place, it makes it worth like all the suffering and the suffering that you've gone through to get there. It just makes it, you know, like an unspeakable reward. It's just until you've done it, you know, you, you just can't explain it, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure. Agreed. Your purpose and your why are definitely your number one superpower. Big thanks to Rosie and Anne. That was a fantastic episode. I had so much fun recording that. Rosie, she's truly a special person in the way that she has such huge goals, but also has a really realistic and balanced approach to her training as well. I can't wait to see how she does this year, completing all her hundreds and specifically getting to see her out at URA and hopefully watching her get that done. And fantastic as always. So glad to have her on. If any of you listeners would like to be on the show in the future, please send me a email at beyonddnf at gmail or shoot me a message on Instagram and we'll find a way to get you on. Also, please do leave us a rating and review, share it with your friends and training partners. That is the best way to grow this podcast and to let me know that you're loving it. Thank you all so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time.